0: Hey, everybody. Just wanted to give you a quick update on the status of the podcast for the month of April. So I've got four episodes in the can, and I've got quite a few more scheduled over the next few weeks. Um, and I'm really excited about the selection of guests that I'm going to be featuring in the near future. Uh, it's funny because I feel like I get a little bit more bolder with each round of invites, and I'm always really surprised and pleasantly surprised with who ends up saying yes. So, I mean, that being said, April's going to be a big change of schedule for me. I'm doing a family trip, and then likely, you know, fingers crossed, a meditation retreat, um, which together will likely take up most of the month and not leave me much time for editing uh, and sharing new episodes. So with that in mind, um, I don't think I'm going to be releasing any new episodes until May. Which also means if you're a, a Patreon subscriber, um, I'll, I'll pause billing for that month. So I kind of wanted to share with you a little bit about how I've been thinking about the podcast and and. Um, how I've been approaching the podcast lately, I feel like I've really been lowering my inhibitions when it comes to deciding who to invite, which I should make very, very clear. doesn't mean lowering my standards. If I get excited about inviting a certain guest, I try not to encumber that process um, much more than just the excitement. I may wait a few weeks or something, but if I still feel the interest, I go for it. And that means that some guests are going to seem like really, really out there. And I often imagine them scratching their heads when they get emails from me. Kind of reading my convoluted justifications of why they should come on my podcast. But, you know, they still seem to be saying yes. So that's pretty cool. Um, But I feel like this is the right way to do how to be an artist. Uh, Making art is as much about the approach. It's about the mindset. And it's really about how you make discoveries more than it's about some sort of end-finished product. So this project for me from the beginning has really been a very personal one. And I'm pretty, pretty stoked that people want to kind of go along the ride with me and and kind of uh, follow the exploration. But I'm really trying to sort something out in my life. Um, And I'm trying to do it in a way that doesn't really rely on past comforts or crutches. I mean, just reaching out to people to do podcasts and talking to people that are basically strangers or people that I really admire has been an enormous challenge for me. Um, this is something where I've, I've dealt with social anxiety much of my life. Um, and I remember when I was younger and even up into much of my adulthood, the idea of just calling someone on the phone caused huge amounts of anxiety for me. And it made me just kind of avoid that as much as possible. Um, but one of the interesting things that happens with self-introspection and some contemplative work is that I've noticed the social anxiety has become more manageable and it's felt like this is something I can take on more. And I just notice the more and more that I do it, the easier it gets and kind of the more fun I'm, I'm having with it. Um, but, you know, in general, I'm really trying to do things right now that are at the edge of my comfort zone and the edge of my social, uh, spiritual, and, and intellectual limits. So I've started doing some blogging. And, you know, some of you may have read some of this. I've got a Medium page uh, where you can read some of the things I'm writing. And I feel a huge amount of insecurity about that writing, (laughs) basically that I'm like not staying in my lane, that I'm rambling about stuff that I have no business rambling about. Um, But also I want people to respond to it. I I want to get better at what I'm doing and I want to get better at thinking through the things that I'm I'm thinking about. So I'd I'd love to get more responses to that. And and I I totally invite really um, difficult responses that that point out where my thinking needs needs to be a little more thorough. It's funny. I read this passage. I just finished reading um, *The Razor's Edge* uh, by Somerset Mon. and it describes at some point I can't remember who's talking, but it describes this man who basically like impoverished his family in order to create this like pseudo scientific and pseudo philosophical tome that no one end up reading. And there's definitely part of me that that wonders if that isn't where I'm headed. Um, but the fact that I'm so scared about that and I'm so uncomfortable about that. Is, is kind of a good thing and it's it's kind of encouraging that I actually get excited about about being uncomfortable and scared. Um, and, I, and I know some of you may have come from past channels I've created, particularly like my YouTube channel, where my focus has been very different from this. Although, I definitely was dipping my toe in this stuff the whole time. You can see it in a lot of my, my content in the past. And I don't know. I don't know what you want uh, for my channel. I, I don't really know if if this seems like kind of weird or a mismatch with what you might expect from a podcast for me. Maybe you prefer that I talk to like these all star artists about how they broke into the business and overcame all the other art hurdles that you want to overcome, and and it's exciting for you just to see that kind of fantasy of like what it would be like to work as an artist. Um, and maybe there's kind of this fun of, of participating by proxy and this like, kind of clique of, of artists. Um, you know, I'm still going to do my best to talk to lots of very skilled artists, um, but I'm not interested in fantasy. I really want to be clear that artists are human and that making art is, is part of being human. Uh, and that means paying attention to all this stuff in the periphery that seems to have nothing to do with art, but that deserves artistry just as much as, as the stuff that man up on the comic page or whatever your, your medium is. So, you know, if that's not your cup of tea, that's totally cool. I totally get it. And I really appreciate you, you know, supporting my YouTube channel and sticking with me up to this point. If you do get amped by this direction, well, um, I think things are going to get more interesting, only more interesting in the future. Um, still don't know how close I am to finding answers, but asking questions so far is pretty fun. Uh, Regardless, um, I really want to know what you guys feel about the podcast. I want you guys to be as open as you you can with me and really share uh, kind of your responses. Um, and I have some kind of interesting ideas about how we might be able to make this whole thing like more communal. Like, I'm not interested in making a podcast being something like like being some sort of broadcast superstar, like. Joe Rogan is cool and all. And I think there's a lot you can learn from, from watching his podcast. Um, but I don't think that's really what I'm interested in doing. And I'm much more interested in having, having like a discussion than, than having an audience. So if you have a response, if you like me sometimes find yourself li- listening to a podcast and kind of talking back to the podcast, like make that an actual conversation, send me an actual mes- message you know, tell me what you, what you think, how you're feeling, how you're responding with, um, And let's talk more. So um, anyway, with that in mind, let's start today's uh, episode. How to be an artist. Step 24. Growing your own food. With guest, Dustin Hansen. Um, Dustin, welcome back. You've got the dubious honor of being the first return guest on how to be an artist.
1: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I don't even know what to say. I'm super honored.
0: You deserve a medal.
1: (laughs) Good. Well, I've really enjoyed the show so far. I've, I've I'm totally caught up and oh, I've awesome. really enjoyed the podcast. It's been really fun.
0: Very cool. Well, I really appreciate you like helping to set the tone. I think the first episode um was definitely one where people were like, "Hey, we want to hear more of that," you know? Oh,
1: very cool. We're doing
0: it. We're we're following up. We're extending the conversation. That's what wow. we're here
1: for. Great. That sounds fun.
0: So, um t- tell me a little bit about uh what you've been working on? What's, what's interesting to you lately? Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, winter, I'm, I'm a real seasonal guy. Um, Yeah. Winter for me is, is heavy writing time. And I, I try to, yeah, I really try to like balance my schedule so that that's when I'm putting in my heavy writing time. And so in the last few months, I've actually finished the draft of two completely separate books. So. Cool. Yeah. It's just kind of like, pounding on words and, and doing this stuff like that. I've, I just finished a book, uh, could going to be called the greatest stories ever played. Hmm. And it's really about the evolution of technology and storytelling and how those two things have converged and how, wow. uh, storytelling has kind of changed global literacy, um, hmm. and how technology played a part in that. And so nonfiction. Yeah. Nonfiction book. Yeah. And it's definitely focused around video games. I mean, it's mm-hmm. you know really kind of hitting what video games are doing now that's different than other storytelling mediums are and or have done in the past and how technology plays a part in that. So that one is finished. And then I have a fiction one that I'm just barely wrapping up too. So yeah, winter is my – like I said, when it snows outdoors, I'm pounding on the keys. So that's That
0: sounds really like a, a good way to do it. Um, is, is this other one, is it graphic novel or is it um, like straight – Fiction prose.
1: uh, It's prose, but um, it has big illustrated sections. Um, Oh, nice! uh, I like that. Kind of alternates between non-written, verbal or visual communication in the illustrated sections, and then prose in the written sections.
0: Yeah, I've kind of decided this year. One of the things I'm I'm really going to working on is is writing. Like, I just want to really switch my emphasis to writing. So, I've been doing some daily writing so far this year and doing kind of a switch between like essay writing and, and trying to do like some short story writing. So I just, just a couple days ago finished the first, uh, first draft of my first short story that I've probably, probably that I've ever written or or probably since college. So, um, and I gave it to my daughter and she's like, yeah, it gets kind of boring around here. So I'm like, okay, (laughs) second draft, second draft.
1: (laughs) That's great. Yeah. I, I felt like writing is such a unique uh, thing to do and it's such a solitary endeavor most of the time that mm-hmm. it's uh, and it's hard to see immediately like I, I like the immediate feedback i get from visual stuff uh-huh. you know and a lot of people can kind of comment on visual art and pull up things that i miss but writing takes such uh, uh it takes a different level of interest to be able to give somebody feedback mm-hmm. um, so i find it very solitary
0: um that's true
1: And so it's nice to have someone have like a daughter that can read it and say it's boring. Like that's such great (laughs) feedback to get. (laughs)
0: That's true. Yeah. I know what you mean because it's kind of like art. It's so visceral. People can be like, yeah, you know, this or that. But, you you know, when you're trying to get feedback on writing, you kind of really have to push it out there. And I know when people have asked me to like read their stuff, it is kind of like, okay, I got to like, you know, turn up the energy to do this. Right. Yeah,
1: It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, and If you do stuff that's like novel length, you know, asking someone to read that for geez. you, that's a, that's a big commitment. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I usually end up asking the same people every time, which is usually mm-hmm. my poor wife who reads everything I write. <laughs> um, but at some point, even that becomes part of the process to the point where it's, it's so integrated. I can almost outguess what she's going to say.
0: Hmm. Um,
1: so it's, it's hard to find a, a reader that'll dive in and read, you know, a 50 to 70,000 word. Novel, Jeez! You know? Oh yeah,
0: for sure. But yeah, some good feedback can be, can be like precious. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if you have this experience, but I find a lot of times, uh, as soon as I give like hand something over to someone for feedback, it turns on a certain switch in my mind that immediately I'm thinking about it from someone else's perspective. And sometimes just the handoff is enough to suddenly have this critical layer that wasn't there before, you know?
1: Oh, absolutely. And whenever I send anything like to an editor, Mm -hmm. I I always, I've learned this from past mistakes of sending Mm -hmm. it off the first time thinking I'm already and then regretting because I sent it too early. So I usually kind of give myself a false deadline and I say, okay, I'm going to send it, you know, on the first, knowing my deadline's Mm -hmm. the 10th. So (laughs) I have a few days to just think about it. And invariably just knowing that, you know, if I'm going to send it to someone that's kind of like a final pass kind of thing. I'll, I'll always go back and change things. Um, yeah. It's probably an OCD thing for me a little bit too. I, you know, I, I know I hold on to stuff too long and I, I overthink and overprocess stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah.
0: Well, there is such thing as underthinking stuff too. <laughs> yes, <so>. there is. <laughs> <laughs> you get really excited and you're like, I think this is good. And, and you send it off and then you realize it's full of typos. And I, I do that quite a bit.
1: Yeah, me too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's cool. I, I definitely will have to pick your brain about um about you know some of the writing stuff too because it's it's definitely like I feel like wow I, I have a lot to learn. I'm sitting down doing this and like you know seeing all the challenges that come up as you do it and so yeah
1: yeah this year's been interesting for me just because of one book that I found It's um, hmm. definitely worth bringing up. I after you know like I this is my ninth novel. Ninth book that's coming out, and I wish I would wow. have read this book before I started because it's really changed my approach to both theme and and kind of the real stakes behind fiction and and even kind of back to that evolution thing. You know, why do we love stories? A biological, yeah. It's a book called Story Genius by Lisa Cron. Okay.
0: Yeah, that's one thing I, I'm looking at doing too. Is I just want to start doing some some study just on on story again. What's what's the main premise of that? What's how's that being helpful to you?
1: This one for me was well, well, her understanding of why story is important. I think hmm. was the, was the different take that I'd had from you know some of the maybe more academic versions of what story is. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, one other thing is that you know she's a a fantastic editor. So hmm. you know she comes from this wealth of experience that that I admired already. Interesting. And then just her approach to. Uh, the importance of like immediate res, you know, what happened hmm. before the story started and how okay. much do you really know about the character before you begin the book and, and those type of things and, and whether or not you expose those to the reader, are mm-hmm. kind of up to you as the writer, but you darn well better, better know them. And it's made me question some things with my current book that I was on. So it was great. I just really loved it.
0: <laughs> I'm thinking about that. Cause the story I'm writing right now is like, it's mostly stuff happening, but the characters are, are pretty thin you know um and and there's part of me that's like i don't want to overdo it on character too like i love the stuff where it's just like you have the barest hint that tells you what a character is right yeah that it's enough to to propel that. the story um but at least right now there's there's nothing much going on with my characters it's like a really interesting premise really boring characters that's that's how i think <laughs> about it right now so well that's cool man well um you know the real meat of what I wanted to dig in today, which today, which uh probably sounds like a big diversion from the topic of art, um but yeah, you had posted something on Twitter, tweeted something on Twitter, maybe I can't remember how a month or so ago, or must must have been more than that that'cause as at the end of the summer, but you were just talking about um how much of your food in the summer you had grown, yeah, and you said you quoted some huge. Percentage and I was just like dumbfounded. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like that much of your your food you grew yourself? Um, what was it? Did you say seventy percent?
1: Yeah, it's about seventy percent in the summer months. Um, I think the big thing that I posted that made people kind of respond to it is I said I spent twenty one dollars to feed a family of six.
0: Yeah, that's in, amazing. In
1: August, um, it, but if I'm really being honest, that's not really that honest. <laughs> just Honest twice because you know I did, I did have things in the house like oil and. You know, like vegetable oil, olive oil, stuff sure. like that, flour, sugar, so it's it's not a very good metric. And and I've actually sensed kind of I'm I'm being way more critical about my food budget this year, so that I can have some better information on what the real costs are. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's uh, it really wasn't even a financial endeavor
0: hmm.
1: initially. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely been it's turned in from what was a hobby that I loved. I've always enjoyed gardening. Uh-huh to uh, something that I feel a, a much deeper connection than just a simple hobby. Um,
0: That's very cool. Yeah, I really love
1: it.
0: yeah I've always felt, I, I have kind of these two different like visions, these two different fantasies. And one is like the urban fantasy. And I've talked a lot about that, I think on this podcast and other places. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I think there's justification for it. Like there's benefits for living in an urban setting. And the other fantasy, and I think I'm not alone here, is is, is kind of like, yeah, to be able to have a homestead to be able to like grow your own food and have like some sort of direct connection to the things that keep you alive instead of being part of some sort of like abstract system where you don't know where, you know, your food is coming. You go to the store to get your food. Right. Yeah. Um, So that's definitely something I've thought a lot about and my yard's pretty small. So I'm limited. We, we try to do as much as we can, but we're pretty limited um, with what we can grow um but then i it's funny we we were going to do this podcast and and schedule you know things came up this is like the third time that we ended we finally finally did it but just this past week i listened to this other podcast it's called damn the absolute I'm trying to find the name of the guy that that hosts it i should uh, listen to oh jeffrey howard there it is okay oh, Yeah. so damn the absolute hosted by this guy named jeffrey howard has some really interesting uh discussions um, but the, the most recent one I listened to was with Ashley Colby, who um, writes about subsistence agriculture in the United States. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, this totally relates to the stuff I want to talk with Dustin about. <laughs> and then it comes come to find you are actually reading her book, right? Yep,
1: exactly. Yeah, right now. And, <laughs> and when you sent me the podcast, I was going to listen to it, but I, hadn't, I haven't finished the book yet. Um, yeah. So I haven't listened to the podcast. So I'll, I'll be honest about that and admit it, but I'll definitely <laughs> listen to it later.
0: So anyway, tell me about like, uh, I mean, tell me how you found the book, how you were drawn to it and, and what your, what your interest is in it.
1: Yeah. Well, I think um, for me, um, it's kind of probably a long story. I guess that's what podcasts are for. So okay.
0: <laughs> that's what we um, do here. <laughs> right.
1: So, so I live in Ephraim, Utah, which is pretty rural Utah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's 5,000 people and 7,500 when the college is in session. It's that kind of size yeah. place. Um, and I, I had lived here, we'd lived here for five, four or five years. And then I took a job in Rhode Island um, hmm. and moved my family to Rhode Island, where it is this not is rural. Yeah, that's when I worked with Hasbro, Yeah, which was the opposite of rural, right? And yeah. so we, we had a pretty big shift, our, our, you know, my family did of having a yard that we gardened as kind of like hobbyists and we enjoyed mm-hmm. it. It was more like flavor kind of thing, right? <laughs> like fresh yeah. tomatoes taste better than store tomatoes. It was that kind of gardening. Uh, mm-hmm. which has a lot of value too, by the way, um, even nutritional value. But it, but it was just interesting to me that that's where we were at before. And then moving to Rhode Island kind of changed my perspective because I didn't have the climate that I was used to gardening in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I lost another two weeks on each side of summer. And, you know, it was just a colder climate. And, boy, just nobody gardened there. It was crazy. Really, like, that's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, I had a really hard time finding a community of gardeners. So that lack of community of gardening was kind of the first thing that made me kind of kind of question because I realized that I did have one in, in Ephraim when I grew there, Just uh, friends that had gardened with me or, you know, that we talked about kind of gardening and, and, you know, different ways to do things. And so that was a part of it was that community. Yeah. And then the other thing that happened during that same time is when we moved back to Ephraim, um, when we moved back, uh, Walmart had been in Ephraim for probably about 10 years at mm-hmm. the time. And when we moved back, there was a supermarket down here called Kent's Market. Uh, there was a small market that was down here. There was a small hardware store. There was uh, you know, all kinds of, you know, kind of like small local businesses. And yeah. I, saw, I saw Walmart completely push them out. Really? Yeah.
0: It's a story I've heard before, but I mean, you actually kind of got to watch it in real time.
1: Oh, absolutely. Wow. And uh, matter of fact, the, the store, the market that was down here, that Kent's Market, they were living on such an absolute, like they had to push their, their profits so low, their margins so low. They had a small fire in their like deli section mm-hmm. and it pushed them out of business. Like they couldn't, wow. they couldn't afford to repair enough to, you know, get over one simple mistake. Um, yeah. So they closed their doors. And the main thing that I saw that happened after that is that both prices went up at Walmart. That I mean, it was evident like overnight prices went up. But yeah. the bigger thing is that both, uh, variety went down. Like you can't buy anything there. It's like really limited. And, and I just thought, man, we live in such a, an immediate food culture mm-hmm. where if you buy chicken at Walmart, it was alive yesterday. Um, the chicken was alive, you know, maybe two days ago, Yeah, which, which is all fine and dandy, but when you stretch it out and say, well, what if we went two weeks without chicken being shipped to Walmart? Yeah. Um, it was kind exactly. of, that. that's kind of where this whole thing started for me. So it's, even though it started as a hobby and something that I enjoyed, it moved more to this concept that of how dependent I was on trucking. I mean, that's really yep. what it came down to.
0: Yeah. Wait, so wh- when, when did this happen again? How long ago was this?
1: Four years ago, probably. Okay.
0: All right. No. Cause I think so, a lot of people have had a similar wake up call with the pandemic. I do too. But it, but it's good that you, it started earlier for you.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I just think I was in a unique experience, you know, yeah. being down here and seeing all those stores close and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was just, it was pretty crazy. And and, and I grew up in the Mormon culture mm-hmm. where in the, you know, 80s and 90s, all we would hear is food storage, food storage, food mm-hmm.
0: storage.
1: Yeah. And you know, so it's pretty common for people to say, do you have a year of food storage for your entire family or, or sometimes two, which is kind of. <laughs> does the does anyone
0: way. actually have that?
1: <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it would take so much space.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: so I kind of really looked at that concept and, and kind of the benefit to that type of concept. And what I realized is what I really needed was I needed the knowledge to be able to create food mm-hmm. a year at a time. Um, because it's not feasible for me, you know, that I have a pretty good sized family of four kids. They're st- still living with me. Um, mm-hmm. even though a couple of them move them out pretty quick, but you know, you have like, that's a lot of food uh, yeah. you know, to, to store it. And then do people really eat stored food and you know, all those kinds of questions and yeah. it came into play. And so I decided I have to learn how to do things that I never thought I would really enjoy. And I really do, which is, you know, growing my own meat and, <laughs> You know, wow. especially chickens and, and those type of things, and processing it and learning that process and knowing what the cost of that was and knowing what they ingest and, and all of those type of things, and it's completely changed. It's completely changed my entire family's eating habits. You know, and, and kind of how we approach food and how we approach land. And, hmm. and the the but but probably the most interesting thing is. The growth of community that's happened for me with that, and I'm a real introvert type of guy. Wow! Um, but to meet other people who um, have been doing this for years and can really teach me how to do stuff properly, and you know, give me good warnings and you know things to watch out for, has been invaluable. It's been great, and the real reason that that happens is because there's only really two places to buy chicken food in our county. Hmm. And so those are the people I run into.
0: Yeah. Interesting.
1: Um, really <laughs> fascinating.
0: It's like the IFA, is that where you're going?
1: Yeah, IFA, then there's a tractor supply place here down too. And so, you <laughs> know, you go to one of those two places and you meet people. Um,
0: yeah. That's so interesting because I think in this this podcast, I think Colby says the ways that she found her con one of the ways she found the her contacts was like going to the feed store. Oh, that's and so good. She, like, she found all the like <laughs> chicken farmers. <laughs> Um yeah. so so it's like uh how how many acres are you are you doing all this on?
1: So I have just over I have like one point seven acres.
0: Okay. That's not crazy.
1: No, it's not. It's pretty manageable and yeah um it's it's going to be perfect for my wife and I when it's just the two of us left. There'll yeah. probably even be more than I will need. Mm-hmm. Um, I I've I really only farm about a half an acre right now. hm Um and, and that's pretty you know, I know that's a lot. I, I recognize that. For me, that's a lot, anyway. Um, sure. But it's it's very manageable. Um, I'm super spoiled because I have water rights, so I can mm-hmm. use you know irrigation rather than that's just very turn cool. on the hose. Yeah. 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 So that makes makes the price go down pretty dramatically. Um,
0: mm-hmm. You you pumping out of like an adjacent adjacent stream or something, yeah. or
1: yeah, there's an irrigation ditch that. I have to use in very specific times. And if I go over by 15 minutes, the farmer who literally farmer who lives next door to me will tell me <laughs> it's very serious business down here. Water. Rights. Oh,
0: absolutely. Jeez. Yeah, it's
1: pretty serious. Especially for, you know, like people who that is like their, their income. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can understand why. Um, but yeah, it's pretty, pretty big deal. Water rights are pretty serious down here.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's an element of community there too, right? Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, I got a, like yep. shared, shared resource yeah yeah that whole like element of community that's like one thing that that really struck me uh and I think that's something that Colby mentions as well is just kind of like the collaboration, the knowledge sharing um and she makes this point that I really, really like about ideology, and she's like, you know these communities aren't about like ideology, it's about like functional here's this thing we want to get done. And that's kind of one of her recommendations is like, you want to start something, something of import. Like you want to start with like functional goals and collaboration. You don't want to start with ideology because that'll just like, that'll just like pull things to a screeching stop right at the beginning to say like, Hey, let's make sure we all agree on the same ideology before we start raising chickens. Right.
1: Right. Oh my gosh. That's such a good point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the interesting things that that I find here is that I don't align politically with the majority of the people in this community. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. I'm, I'm pretty liberal, um, and uh, I'll just say there's a lot of red red hats when I go sure. to Walmart down here, right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And those are the type of people that I know if I talk to them. Uh, about politics, not <laughs> irrigation. <laughs> right? The conversation won't go the same direction. So actually that's really an interesting point. I've never thought about that, but that's absolutely true because I do have a common bond with uh some of these I mean hobby sustenance farmers like myself. Like you know, and even like the SU or the USU extension office down here that's you know where you can go and get your your soil tested and you know, those type mm-hmm. of things. Um that's a pretty good resource. In. Yeah, it is, and and I bet you most towns in this in Utah have some form of that USU Extension Office.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Makes sense, right? Yeah, because that's where you get those resources.
1: Yeah, they're really great. You can get planting charts and all kinds of great stuff from them. Super helpful. No, I was just going to say it's it's interesting because I I've never thought of it really in those terms, but there is something kind of nice about that that you know you don't. I guess if we had to go and fight for rights to keep, you know, luckily down here in in Sampy County, I don't have to go and fight for like livestock rights, right? Yeah. If I wanted to, I could put a cow in my backyard. Um, Mm -hmm. But if I had to go and fight for those rights um, with our city council, Mm -hmm. I would probably have a common bond with some people who I politically don't align with. Yeah. That's really interesting.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I think there's something there too, as far as like how we solve some of the problems that we're facing, you know, in in our, in our country, we have this like, you know, extreme polarization that's emerging, but it's this, it's this very abstract polarization because it's like mostly these people that we disagree with are these people, some other place, you know, uh, or, you know, either that, or it's like our, our family members. Right. (laughs) Right. Like yeah, my, yeah. that one uncle, right, yep. or or whatever it is, um, yeah. But I I think that the kind of one of these the the problems that's happened is there's just been this trend of like atomization, uh, you know, uh, isolation. Like we we live in this world of like Netflix, where and I mean, gosh, COVID has made this so much worse. Where everyone's mm-hmm. stuck in their homes, interfacing with the world through this screen you know, rather than with their hands and their eyes and their feet, you know? Yeah. And um, it seems like a nice, a nice, uh, nice way to kind of counteract that trend is like, I mean, just think about gardening is gardening is like, there's no more literal way for you to like interface with the real world, right?
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, absolutely. Dig
0: up dirt, plant living things in it, you know?
1: Yeah. Oh, no doubt about it. And gardening has been something that's kind of helped my wife and I bond together too. Like we like to do that together too. And we, and we kind of often have joked about that, you know, like I need to stick my hands in the dirt, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's a, it's a thing we both feel this time of year, right? Like Mm -hmm. I miss that. I crave that, you know, kind of getting dirty and, and, um, actually it kind of probably sounded bad, but you know what I mean? Sure. I just like, (laughs)
0: let's get dirty, man. Dirty
1: with my wife. Um, (laughs) but, uh, it, it is, it is a really important part of that process too. And, and I've really enjoyed that with my kids as well. But some of them hate it. Um, yeah. Which, you know what? That's also really good. Um, and if this is the kind of thing, like to me, this takes a, a, a big amount of my time, a large amount of my time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you don't like gardening, you shouldn't do it. <laughs> I mean, just flat out. Like yeah. other things yeah. you could be more productive at that are probably add equal value to your life and even to lives of others. Like, I have so many eggs, like I can't, I I can't consume the amount of eggs that we have. <laughs> um, so I give eggs away to a few people that are in town, that to, you know, that appreciate them, right? Like, yeah, it's because even if those people could keep chickens, they wouldn't. Like, they don't yeah. like chickens. Like, I get that.
0: Um, well, it's surprising in the city how many people I know that um, keep chickens now in garden. I mean, that's definitely since COVID. I mean, all well, my neighbors garden. I have at least one other neighbor that has chickens, um, but it is it is a very empowering thing, especially like chickens.
1: Oh, they're amazing!
0: Chickens are so underrated. They are. They're like the best. one of the most amazing things ever. <laughs> yep,
1: chickens and then goats. Like those two things are like the best. But Ooh, so, chickens. Chickens are amazing.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll give you my I'll give you my like two bits on chickens, and then you can yeah. tell me about goats because yeah, yeah. I'm really interested in. in in goats. So we, we renovated our house recently and we had to like get rid of our chickens while it was happening and just like totally broke our hearts. Oh,
1: yeah. So now
0: we're, we're trying to like – we're trying to like decide on, okay, when do we want to bring the chickens back? But it's this type of thing. Anytime we like put food into the compost – we just like breaks our heart cause we're like the chickens would have loved this, you know? Cause yeah. they, the, the amazing thing about them is they're some of the greatest like garbage processors ever. I'm, I'm sure goats are probably like that too.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but we, we would give our chickens everything. I mean, the, the dark secret here people is that one of chickens favorite foods, chicken. I know. So chicken, McNuggets chicken bones, they'll, they'll pick <laughs> off those chicken bones, pick them clean you know, they eat meat, they eat everything. Um, and it's like at the end of the day, then you have this like great compost, you know? Um, so, and obviously then they make eggs out of it and you have this like protein, which is like, oh my gosh, that you can have a source of protein as good as eggs with so little space and so little resources. It's just like mind blowing.
1: It really is. And you know, chickens are another interesting thing about feeding chickens is also interesting too. So this time of year I feed my chickens pretty actively Mm -hmm. Uh, because they're they're free range um as much as i possibly can i have dogs that love to spook them around but i I free range them in the summer quite a bit um so that's you know basically free um which Mm -hmm. is crazy to think you can get that do you
0: you not give them any feed during the summer
1: very little if they're not laying heavily i'll do more protein-based feeds like sorghum or or something like that yeah But, but the interesting thing about chickens is that right now like today's economy today's capitalistic which is just such a uh, saying capitalism is a, is a real kind of overstatement because there's a lot of, <laughs> of nuance there but yeah there there are a few crops that are are a negative economy right hmm. and and most of them are chicken feed so wheat uh corn soybeans and oh, this soda. is what
0: colby talks about actually
1: yeah i've read this part in her book too and, and yeah. it's absolutely true and those are the things i don't purchase for my i purchase for my family like i wouldn't For one thing, I'd need so much space to grow wheat um, that it's not worth it to me, and and I can actually buy it cheaper than I can grow it. And it's the same thing with chicken food; so I can feed chickens cheaper than it is for me to almost feed them for free, which is so bizarre. Yeah, right. Like so, but if you have two chickens and you think that that's going to be this great economic boost for your life, and now you're not going to have to buy like that's that's not where you break even. And, you know, I mean, I, last year I did, uh, I have a friend who has, he volunteered last year to be the guy to keep, keep all the meat birds. Um, mm-hmm. and so he bought a hundred chicks. This is the first time I've done this. Um, and then I took half of them and, and, you know, we butchered them and we've, we've eaten them and it's just been fantastic.
0: So he grew them all. He grew You, them. you, you paid for, for part of them to uh-huh. like, okay, yep, awesome.
1: We went, we both paid half on a I'm not sure what it's called, but it's basically a plucker. Um, mm-hmm. It's like a big tub. looks like an old, old washing machine with little fingers. Yeah. In it, and it spins it around, um, you know, some stuff like that. So it's, you know, it's a little bit of an investment. And in the end, I don't think it saved us that much money. Um, mm-hmm. Especially if I was just going to go and buy, you know, uh, you know, right off the shelf, generic chicken. Sure. Um, yeah. If I was going to buy organic, like certified organic, then yeah, it's probably saved a lot of money. And, and these are organic. So that's nice too. Yeah, Right. Like, yeah. Um, but the, the, the hens that you know my laying hens i hate to say this but they're like pets like we just, <laughs> we love them like yeah we know who they are my daughters have named them all and you know they're they're productive and fun and you know they have personalities so there's a little bit of that that is a benefit as well sure um, and, and they're beautiful like i think they're really pretty birds
0: do you, so, so you track some of this stuff too though you track the numbers pretty close yeah yeah So on, so on eggs, the money, like the money, like somehow getting cheap eggs, it's not like you're getting a great deal on eggs by, by having the laying hens.
1: In the summer, in the summer it is. Yeah. But you know, in the winter, so I have, I have 15 birds right now, 15 laying hens right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I go through about a bag of 16% protein feed every two weeks. Okay. That's $9 a bag. Mm -hmm. If, If I buy it in like 200 pounds quantities um so you know every two weeks i'm paying nine dollars for eggs or you know to, mm-hmm. to feed those eggs and yeah. i get i get about a dozen a day right gotcha so it it yeah it's better than buying it at the store but not mm-hmm. much right yeah like, i mean we're talking pennies on the dollar and and it's kind of the same thing that we see with you know like those negative economy crops we yeah. right where it's subsidized by the government so heavily that hmm you know, there's a whole lot there. There's a whole lot of <laughs> there, um, about you know what we're doing to soil and how that's kind of irreparable and and some things yeah. like that too, um, which is kind of a different probably discussion. But but goats, can I tell you goats real quick? Yeah, tell
0: me about goats. Well, I, I'm trying to see if I had something else I wanted to ask about. Chickens. Oh yeah. yeah, give me a second here. Um, okay, yeah. But I just wanted, I just kind of wanted to reiterate. I I think the discussion that's interesting still is like. Well, how do you justify it? And, and this is the problem with, with the economy that we've built is things are always framed by price, uh-huh. as if the price is the only thing. Um, and I, the metaphor that I like to use for it is it's like an investment portfolio. It's like in an investment portfolio, if you want to cover your butt, you, have, you can have some, some growth stocks, right? And the growth stocks are stuff that you know is going to kind of like deliver but you want to have some stuff to hedge those stocks. You want to have some stocks just in case something happens when the growth stocks tank. You got something yeah. to cover your butt, right? Yeah. And so I, I think sometimes with some of these things, we 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 have this system of efficiency that's super efficient, right? Where they're sending crops from across across the country, across the planet. Sometimes, you know, huge industrialized manufacturing uh, where they can make things incredibly efficient just in time you know inventory. So it's super super efficient, but it is fragile. And so, you know, you want to have something in place in case there are disruptions to that supply chain, which like we've already seen. Like I think with COVID, we kind of like we kind of got pretty lucky and maybe we're not out of the woods yet either. Like there's definitely wow. definitely a lot I've been reading about how there's still a lot of disruptions going on, but it's kind of I think it's a way of like hedging. It's like you know, you talk about what you've done with these, um, broiler, broiler hens, right. You've got those hens that you're, that you're, you know, raising for food. And it's like, you know how to do that. You know how awesome it is that like, if something were to happen to our global chicken supply chain that you can be like, well, okay, at least I know I can do this. Right. Um, and Hey, maybe, maybe you'll be able to like, you know, sell some of those too. So, um, yeah, I think there's good reason to, to be able to learn a little bit of, of, food
1: independence. Yeah. I think to me, the whole like concept of changing gardening from fun to food w- was a big thing for me. And, and the thing that if we're going to hit art and I, I'm hoping we will eventually
0: hit <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. If everyone will be patient enough <laughs> yeah.
1: is that I think art taught me that trial and error is the only way to, to build a pattern, um, towards mm. success in the, in art career. And Gardening is absolutely that for me. Yeah. Like I am willing to jump in and try things that I have no idea if they'll be successful or not. Um, Yeah. Just because I know that if I don't try them out, I'd hate to be put in a position where they have to be successful and I don't know how to do it. Um, Yeah. So that's kind of, that's really, that's why I did the meat chickens this year. It's the first time I've done them. I'll do them forever because it was so easy and I feel like (laughs) it was a much more humane life for those chickens and, I know that's probably a justification. Um, yeah, but I but I did feel like it was certainly better, and and you know, I'll do it forever.
0: No, I just I think that trial and error part of it is really important. I've I've definitely done gardening where it's just like you have to deal with the fact. I mean, it's this is another thing that Colby kind of gets to, and I've I've heard other people talk about this that like, okay, well, I'm going to reframe this. I'm going to take this to to kind of like another another level here, I guess, okay. to like maybe a higher higher level. Um, One of the concepts she talks, she talks about these like shadow, shadow cultures. And she kind of, she kind of like is not crazy with, with the, the term and I can kind of see why. Um, um, but the whole idea is that we see this system that is, that is problematic. That's having these malfunctions. We're kind of seeing it start to grind to a halt. We're, we're seeing, you know, people, at the top kind of turning from, uh, innovating and creating value to just like extracting wealth out of the system. Um, and so she kind of talks about this concept of like, okay, in the meantime, we're creating these, um, experimental little shadow cultures. And the idea is that like, the hope is, you know, when this other thing finally collapses, we have other things ready to take its place. Um, and it's, it's a really cool idea because she kind of references historically how this happened historically. Like she talks about how like in the Roman Empire, there was all these little like cults, these experimental cults. And like Christianity was one of them. And as this one thing kind of like disintegrated, you know, these other things were kind of poised to, to kind of grow out and, and take their place. Um, and I guess, I guess this is why this is kind of how it ties back to art this is kind of the area I'm interested in art now. And I've been trying to like put my finger on it, like through this podcast, this is kind of one of the things this podcast has like helped me to do. Um, that's the interest area I'm interested in is like, I'm not crazy about what the culture of art is right now. And I I definitely had frustrations trying to like fit into it. So I'm like really interested in this idea, just as with gardening and, and this like subsistence agriculture of like, Uh, What sort of, um, you know, experimental shadow cultures can we create with art that kind of can exist under the umbrella of this, um, you know, technocratic capitalist thing that's going on right now and that could potentially um, be something more at a later date, but also like, hey, it's, you can find stuff that's amazing and generative and beautiful right now as well, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, man, I love that. That's that's really really interesting and, and super meaningful to me right now, like where I'm at in my life and thought with you know what I'm doing with my career. Hmm. And, you know, I, I'll I'll give you an example um, of of kind of where I'm starting to feel this is. You know, I I've, I've published books with Macmillan and DC, right, and mm-hmm. and they've hit uh, different levels of success, um, mm-hmm. and the process has been good because. Uh, there's something nice about being uh, assigned an editor that's going to pound your book until it's right. Right. So, so there's some really good intrinsic things there that I've learned and I've loved and have been very, very valuable to me and working with DC was fun. um, But uh, you know, I, I was lucky enough to do an IP with them Mm -hmm. um, and it was great. I had a good experience and blame COVID blame timing, blame, whatever you want but the book has not moved like at all. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I had hey, another. My
0: my kids love it. By the way. Oh, that's so. nice. <laughs>
1: when when I get it into hands of people, I know they enjoy it, and so that's a yeah. you know that's a metric that keeps me happy. Yeah. Yeah. But part of the reason for doing this book with them was for the opportunity to do one that I really wanted to do. Um, hmm. That was another IP. Um, yeah. And so I I had spent. I don't know five or six months on this book pretty heavily. Um, I, I I had to make a cut that was beyond where I wanted to cut just because of Ugh. page economy. That's all it is. Yeah. I mean, literally yeah. it comes down to an Oof. Excel spreadsheet. Um, and I looked at the sales of what they were able to do if my characters didn't have a cape on, and mm-hmm. nothing to get. I mean, that's just what that's what DC does, right? They're excellent yeah. at selling what they sell. And you know a whole bunch of kind of weird things have happened with DC and laid off people that I love, and you know I see all those things, and I, I had that same exact idea of of why am I why am I investing in the culture of publishing hmm. when I feel like publishing's on its way out, like yeah. traditional straight up publishing is definitely struggling. <laughs> and if if some publisher listens to this podcast and think I'm I'm a heretic, I'm so okay <laughs> with that at this point. Um, yeah. <laughs> because I've decided to pull my book from DC. Interesting. Um, and that was a tough decision, right? Like I noticed people who would give their eye teeth to have a chance to shoot something out with DC. And, and I was in that position yeah. and decided it's just not the right fit. Um, yeah. And the funny thing is when we talked to them about it, uh, they totally understood. Matter of fact, they yeah. kind of agreed They're like that we're <laughs> probably not the right people for this. Hmm. And, you know, those are tough decisions to do, but, the big thing that I've been thinking is if I'm going to do that, I certainly don't want to just go back and get into another relationship with a publisher. That's going to be the same culture. Cause I don't think yeah. it's DC's fault. I think it's way more systemic. Yeah. And so I'm starting to have those thoughts now of, is there a better way for me to share my content? Um, whether there's a financial side of that, I don't know. Yeah. But there might be a more satisfying way to do it. Um, it's yes. a different
0: community. Yeah. That's, I think you're hitting on the same, same, uh, maybe the same train. I'm I've, I've been thinking along lately. I yeah. mean, 10, 10 years ago, the answer would have been like, Hey, well now we have the internet, right? You know? <laughs> and I heard, I heard this interesting thing from Eric, Eric Weinstein, Eric Weinstein, yeah, Weinstein the other day. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you listen to him at all. He's a, yeah. he's a interesting guy. He's, seems like he's kind of got a, a bone to pick, but, um, no, I'm making he is, he is a really interesting kind of heterodox uh, thinker. Um, but he has this idea of, let's see if I can get it right, that the um, idealism of an era like covers up the corruption of that same era, if that makes sense. Wow. And you'll have to listen to his, his whole story. The, the first, the first um, example he uses is Manifest Destiny, which, which gets the point across <laughs> probably as clear as anyone else right? Yeah. It's like the idealism of manifest destiny covers up the horrible crimes that were were committed to, to you know, gobble up, um, you know, land. Uh, but he, he kind of comments how like the internet age had this idealism of like this internet utopia, right? And yeah. there's been kind of this corruption hiding underneath that. Not that I, I feel kind of bad because I can't really describe exactly what that is, but I certainly have felt like I feel like the gas is kind of, kind of going out on it. You know, there's a time where it's like, yeah, you can go on the internet. You don't need a publisher anymore. And, and yeah. people are kind of seeing now that like, yeah, it's a little bit of a phyric, uh, um, dream there as far as how far the internet can take you. Yeah. But I have been thinking of things in the same way, like as, as far as I want to find a meaningful community where I can share my art and find a way, way where I can do it sustainably you know, what the economic model is, is for that, or whether it's one that issues an economic model, I don't know, but like, those are the things I want to find. Um, I don't know. And maybe it's going to be like gardening, that it's just like, you gotta, gotta get some aphids on your Brussels sprouts a few <laughs> right. times before you figure out how, how it's going to work, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of truth to that. And boy, that's something i my- because like I am so at the beginning of this, I, I, I have no idea what the answers are. I have some concepts of, mm-hmm. of maybe kind of how I'm treating things more like properties rather than, than, you know, titles. Uh, so for, mm-hmm. for example, like, you know, if I have a concept for a book or a book series that I enjoy, I think I, I could enjoy writing for a long period of time. There might be potential outlets through YouTube that might help with that hmm. better than yeah. than, the, than the book proper. Or, you know, I mean, th- there might be different ways for me to tell that story. Um, and some of that admittedly comes from writing that previous book about kind of the evolution mm-hmm. of technology and kind of seeing some of the goods and bads there that have happened. And, you know, even looking at things like, you know, we've certainly moved on to faster and quicker forms of communication. Yeah. Right? I mean, Twitter and TikTok, et cetera, you know, it's like, as as micro as we can possibly make micro, um, it's not really storytelling. It's actually just entertainment. And mm-hmm. while it's sat- it's super satisfying. Um, it's not the same as storytelling, and and so that's a little bit anti-evolutionary, um, because storytelling is such an important part of our evolution, right? It contains yeah. warnings, and it contains you know all kinds of lessons that we learn. It, it's how trial and error works. We love Mm -hmm. stories about people who fail because it teaches us how to succeed and all of those things. And when we get to a point with something like Twitter, where you can have literally millions of different opinions fly past your eye in a month, um, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to, uh, there's some level where we shouldn't probably even have that much information. Yeah. And so I think as humans, at least, I mean, this is so anecdotal, right? It's me, right? I feel yeah. like I can't process all of that to a point where, <laughs> where I don't want to anymore.
0: That's, that's universal, man. That's not an anecdotal. That is like the zeitgeist. It's just this overwhelm. Yeah, um, yeah they talk about this problem. It's, it's the, the, the sense-making crisis. Mm-hmm. You know? And it, it, this gets to story. Like You talk about story that, and this purpose that story had, mostly embedded within religion for, right. for eons, was it was a way of, of sense-making it was a way of telling you when a happens then you should do b or it means b when a happens it means b and then that helps you to say like okay then if that if a means b then i should do c right it te- it helps us to understand the world and navigate the world and we're at this point where it's just like there's so much stuff coming at us that we can't we can't like meaningfully process it so um yeah still to be figured out what the heck we do about that <laughs>
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, I mean, in part of, there's one of the ways I've, the, the the kind of directions I've kind of gone with that is is getting more to like this, this hyper-local orientation. And you said you made this comment of like, um, how did you say it? Maybe this is just anecdotal. Yeah. And I kind of feel like, I feel like we kind of need to go back to being hyper-anecdotal mm. um, where it's like, I need to go back and be like, okay, what do I really know? And go to the very very basics and be and this gets this gets back to gardening, right? Right. To be like, okay, I need what do I know about my body? What do I know about my own mind? What do I know about my environment that's that's immediate to me? What do I know about you know, my land? what sorry, God. say that again?
1: What do I know about my land?
0: Yeah, what do you know about your land? Yeah. And really <laughs> nail down the stuff that is like most that's closest to you that you can really be sure about. And then it starts going into relationships like, okay, what do I like, how can I build this relationship with my wife and my children that's rock solid and that's producing goodness. And I don't know, I feel like the start is someplace there is kind of like getting back to these things. And, and, you know, maybe it's a matter of then kind of building shadow cultures off of that or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people have honestly just been really disconnected from just the facts of their like basic existence, you know?
1: I think you're, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, when we, you mentioned in an email, we wanted to talk about gardening to me and, it, and yeah. the place that I've, <laughs> I was talking to my wife about this, about saying, you know, the, the thing that I like about gardening is that it hits the very basis of the Maslow's hierarchy, hierarchy of needs.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: Right? And, yeah. And I think that's where it, where it comes down to. And I feel like, you know, like I said, the winter months for me are for writing and the yeah. hot, hot, hot summer months are for drawing for me and mm-hmm. spring and summer, sorry, spring and fall end up being pretty you know, demanding as far as my time in the yard. Um, and part of that is that I spend those You know, six months of the year in the fall and in the spring, really preparing to buy myself time by fulfilling that entire base of that hierarchy of needs.
0: So you're talking about safety. It's like basic human safety. Yes. And
1: and, and when those things are solid, I have a really hard time being able to uh, focus on higher order things.
0: Absolutely.
1: Art art is constant correction. We've probably talked. Mm -hmm. I, I think you and I have actually talked about that. Like the amount of concentration it takes to really do something that is meaningful to you personally
0: mm-hmm. requires this
1: constant correction, this constant—you know—it's it's really tough stuff. Um, yeah, it's just not easy. And gardening is tough in a very different way, right? It's physically mm-hmm. demanding, and it requires patience. And you know, you can see you can see problems happening at this slow, 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 wonderful <laughs> slow speed. And you're like, oh, I I know I'm getting. You know, I'm getting leaf rot on my tomatoes. I know it's coming, but I've got three or four days to really address it. Like, boy, in art, you don't get that. No. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so there is this kind of balance thing there. But I really do feel like that's part of it is that once I kind of have that base, that root safety kind of handled, yeah. it allows me to do those things. And a question that, that she had to me, she's like, all right, you can only do one. You can quit art or you can quit gardening. What would you quit? Hmm. Right. It's an, it's one of those impossible questions, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but the sad thing is, I guess I'd have to quit art.
0: Hmm.
1: I don't yeah. know that I'd be happy, but mm-hmm. I'd be safe. It, it's an interesting thing, and and when I look at like global food production, yeah, and how difficult that is for some people to afford, and I mean a big portion globally.
0: Oh yeah,
1: and even you know even if I look locally. Um, you know, my wife teaches at a, a school that's got kids who just don't have food, mm-hmm. right? And I look at it and go, man, I can't believe we're telling these kids to buy books, even yeah. though that's so important, <laughs> right? It is so important Yeah, when they literally, they, they'll take a, a lunch home Friday from the school that's provided that has enough food for that oh. kid to go for the whole weekend. And you know, mm. it has to go to the whole family.
0: Oh geez. It's
1: heartbreaking.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's something that's really, really painful to see too, is that this, uh, the culture of subsistence has really disappeared. I mean, that exactly. used to be the way that if you, if you had no other option, I mean, you grew your own food, but now it's like, uh, you know, the people that are most vulnerable are the most dependent. And like, we can, we can try to like look down on them, but it's like, all they have are like the the options that they have. Sometimes all they have is Walmart. All they have is yeah. like junk food. you Absolutely. know
1: yeah, I um. mean I remember one time I, I was working at at EA and they mm-hmm. early on they, they provided hot dogs um, and a cup of noodles in in the cafeteria, right yeah take, take as many as you want. yeah, and somebody made some joke about saying or they found an article that's like, here are the five worst foods for you to eat." And were, <laughs> the foods on it. we're making this huge kind of joke about it. And we're like, yeah, maybe we should stop doing this. And, and EA yeah. stopped doing that. And then, then they started providing breakfast cereal, which was probably another one of those five. Foods.
0: <laughs> Pretty bad too. Yeah. But,
1: but the joke was, well, the reason they do that is because it's the cheapest food. And then I yeah. thought, Oh my gosh, that's so true. And so unfair to people who are like, that's as good as I can get the, the worst five foods for me are the only ones I can afford. Yeah. It, that's a real reality for a lot of people. And, and, you know, gardening's not cheap. Access to mm. land is, is a massive problem. Yeah. yeah. And even there's community gardens down here that are free for the taking. You can mm. go ahead and put your stuff down here. You pay. Uh, if you can, you pay for water. If not, the city will pay for it. And people just don't do it. Like yeah. they're, they're empty.
0: Well, I mean, it's investment, even learning the skill. I mean, these things that used to be passed down and it's it's knowledge that's been lost. And yeah. so I'm sure these people are so overburdened with other things as well, especially at the lower ends of the economics spectrum, that it's like, how are they going to be able to afford the trial and error necessary That's to exact. learn what they have to learn? It's you know? an investment. Yeah. Jeez. Man, you know what really strikes me as you're talking about this is you talk about Maslow's hierarchy of need. Yeah. And here we are, people that exist at like this high, especially compared to the rest of the world, we're the 1% capacity compared oh, to the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah. And it is really scary that we still don't feel completely stable when it comes to that base layer of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, yeah. what does that tell us about the world where even the best off people are insecure about the, their most basic needs, you know, feel insecure about that, you know?
1: Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's, it's so true. You know, I understand why a lot of people freaked out and bought toilet paper during the COVID yeah. thing. Right? I, yeah. I get it. I really do understand it. And I, I think the, the main reason is that uh, we live in a very, very immediate culture. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: You know, I mean, uh, my little tiny E from down here, right? Like our Walmart's way smaller than, you yeah, know, obviously big city thing. But yeah. you know what? They maybe get three trucks a week. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe they get five. I don't know. I don't know. If, it, if they're getting five a week, holy cow, we churn through a lot of content or a lot of product in this tiny little town. Yeah. And you know, like you said, you go two weeks without that, what, what's going to be gone and what's going to be important is a really
0: going to replace it. Question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, there's a lot of been do a lot of doomsday people out there. that are like, Oh, peak oil, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you can, you can poo poo them or you can say like, Oh, we'll figure out something else, but you also have to consider, okay, but what if that doesn't happen? Right. And what if something else happens that we're not expecting, you know, like case in point, COVID, even though we, sh- we actually should have seen it coming, <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah. What if, what if, you know, um, boy, this is getting depressing. I know. <laughs> hey, why don't you, why you, you're going to tell me about goats. So okay. let's, let's go back, let's go back and talk about goats. I think that's a great place to take it.
1: Okay. So goats <laughs> are annoying and uh-huh. they're noisy. Um, but. The goat two things goats do that that chickens don't. So one thing with we're gonna talk about poop, is that okay?
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely go for it, man.
1: So there's only two there's only two domesticated animals that we have that have what's called cold manure. So that's huh. means manure that you can put on the garden immediately.
0: Oh it doesn't interesting. Have
1: the rest. And so goat and rabbit are the only two domesticated animals that you can do that.
0: So explain that is, is the, this, the other stuff is has like too high of a nitrogen content. Yeah. Is that it? And it kind of needs some time to dissipate a little bit.
1: Exactly. And chickens, yeah. well, you talked about compost, like not only do yeah. chickens eat your compost, but they're fantastic at making compost, right? Yes. They yes. stir the earth, they move it around, they do all those different things. And that's great. Like that's really good for soil prep, but it takes a yeah. year to do that. And so if you don't have a really good place to store what your chickens mm-hmm. are doing to your yard or inside their pen, then it can be kind of smelly it gets a problem all those kinds of things goats like you can take their poop the day they drop it and throw it directly into your live compost or you can throw it directly into your garden they Mm. are fantastic soil prep um so i I i've just got a couple little tiny guys um Mm -hmm. and i rotate them to a couple different places in the yard um, with fence and i just let them poop directly on it and it's fantastic for soil regeneration ah so that's the so the
0: kind of areas you're keeping them those those become uh you kind of rotate garden beds onto those later
1: yeah or awesome. or i'll take the top three or four inches out of a pen and and put it directly into a bed and and i garden with a method called no-till gardening um okay which is a, a kind of a and it's not terribly new it's probably 20 years of you know, for
0: for things. everything for everything you do
1: yeah i don't i don't dig um, hmm. very, very, very little, like as little mm. as possible. Um, okay, and part of that's just to keep you know like worm cultures and, and all kinds of things that you know these like your underneath the soil is a pretty live culture. It's a very very live thing, and sticking a shovel down in there can really cause some damage to to soil nutrients and stuff like that. Hmm. Um, so I like I don't do that. So I'll take goat manure and I can put it directly on top of things, and you know add really really good nutrition to my soil okay so do what that do you do i have to dig in yeah or, or wait a year
0: yeah yeah exactly yeah you kind of have to that's that's kind of the cycle i'm on Is I, I make a compost pile and it sits for a year and then it goes yeah. into my garden like like the next year um so so with no-till what do, what do you do with like the dead plants at year's end do you just knock them down or do you like cut them off and like like compost most of yeah, them I like how do you deal with like
1: or feed them to the goats? Okay
0: do you actually pull them out or will you uh, do you like leave us leave us uh so you pull them out yeah
1: i pull them out yeah
0: but you don't you're not digging after you're not like killing after that no.
1: yeah and it's okay. taken it's taken a while to like condition the soil to to kind of get to a point where it's conditioned enough to do that like mm-hmm. uh, most of the soil in utah's super high clay content and so you know mm-hmm. especially i don't know down here where i am it's very high clay content so it's taken a long time to put enough additives into the soil to kind of change that plants are great at that. You know, the roots go yeah. down there and break it up and do a better job, but it's like I said time consuming. You know, it takes a couple of years to really kind of get to a point where you have kind of healthy areas. And it's shocking how fast you can drain the nutrition out of soil. Really? Yeah, and so that's when you see like massive massive farms and we talk about people saying, oh, "I don't know, you're so worried about organic versus non-organic. The organic isn't really what goes into the plants. It's it's or the non-organic problems aren't what goes into the plants. It's the non-organic yes stuff that we put into the soil yes that's that's toxic and uh, uh, toxic is a pretty strong term it's not toxic
0: um but it's all it's all ends up being runoff that's going into our ecosystem everywhere Yeah, you know it's like the farming that happens in in iowa affects like the wetlands in new orleans yeah, you know
1: yeah
0: so and uh yeah there's a whole thing about like how the storm surge in, in the hurricane Katrina was so horrible because there just been this erosion of the wetlands that used to be this buffer that used to absorb all that. And that's like, that's like a direct result of kind of this, all of this runoff. And it's, 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 I'm sure it's more things than just this fertilizer, sure. but it's, it, you know, it affects that. Yeah. It's definitely um, a huge part of it. Yeah. But then there's also like, we're also uh, deteriorating this, like degrading the soil. I think that's also something that, that Colby probably talks about is just like degrading the soil to where it's like, okay, what are we going to grow out, out of the soil, you know, once we've like stripped it? So, yeah, I mean, it, so bare of nutrients.
1: Yeah, and that to be terribly depressing, but it's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it really honestly isn't. And, you know, the funny thing is, it's not sustainable on either side, it's not sustainable in, you know, like big, massive farming type stuff. Like eventually we'll get a point with the soil where the only way we can do it is to go strictly hydroponics, um, which are very nutrient (laughs) bare. Um, it's food, it's consumable and it's, it'll fill Mm -hmm. your mouth, but it's very nutrient bare. Um, Mm -hmm. and then even on the rural side of things, like it's really not sustainable either. I think it's probably easier on a rural side if we take that kind of, like you mentioned, like very small, very personal approach Mm -hmm. to this kind of stuff. But if, yeah. you know, if I was, I would, I would hate to try to be, uh, to, to make my living as a, you know, farmer's market market down here. I think it'd be really yeah.
0: hard. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. It's so easy when you're like in the city um, to kind of like idealize, you know, farming and to be like, we get a CSA um, during the summer and like, it's fantastic. Like we love the stuff we get in the CSA but there is all the, always this question of like how sustainable is this? How well could this take the place of something else if it collapsed um actually it's funny. I have a friend that I was talking about this with, and he said like oh it's it's like performance agriculture it's like they're putting on this sh- they're putting on this show, and that's what the product is. The product is the performance it isn't actually it isn't actually the the food that you're that you're buying
1: that <laughs> yeah, is so t- well the whole YouTube culture for like uh people who have you know, homesteads and farmsteads on YouTube. That's definitely a big part of that.
0: Oh really? Oh yeah, there's, think there's some BS going on there.
1: Oh, for sure. Um, and, yeah. and there's people who make enough money off of that type of stuff. You know, they're getting 300,000, 400,000 views a day and they're putting up a video every day.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: you know, and then they'll show you like a new thing that they've put in. You're like, geez Louise, like that, you know, you, you just built a hoop house that would cost 20 grand. Like that's, <laughs> that's not something I can justify.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I think there's a lot to that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, but I think I mean you talk about sustainability and um I think one of the key things is is this kind of like one of the problems with having our food grown so distantly from us and for a lot of things happening distant from us is just we miss this feedback that you get as as working in your own garden right that you see those problems immediately yeah this is just this is a problem in so many areas of our society is we have to create all these regulations and all these other things because there are all these ethical implications of these systems we depend on that are happening thousands of thousands of miles away from us you know right so it's like why why are people being exploited in vietnam well it's because you know we are wearing the clothes that they are making and we don't see what's going on there. So like, how easy is it for us to, to, you know, make adjustments when we can see the whole, you know, what's going on that's wrong and the same growing food in, in, in Iowa or wherever, and there's soil degradation and there's runoff and all these things. And it's like, I don't see that. All I see is like corn on on the grocery shelf, you know? And by the time the problems emerge, it's way far down the line. It's like, it's like <laughs> I see food disappear and it's just like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I don't know what to do now. I'm screwed. The corn's gone. You know, the best I've got is to check, check another store, you know?
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and those problems are getting more dramatic because of the amount of people who are actually producing food is reducing so much too. Oh yeah. Less than 1% of American people produce food for the entire country. Yeah. Uh, You know, that's, that's pretty crazy. You know, it's definitely a dying art. And I think part of the reason why it's, dying is because i i mean uh, this is so me making up everything at this point but Mm -hmm. i can imagine that it's difficult to create a product knowing that you're getting paid a subsidy for your hard work like i don't know sure how to explain that it's because it's valuable there's there's a huge amount of value to creating things like soybean and and corn and all those sure but you know the majority of it goes to you know it's tough I'll just say that. It's yeah, really tough, and
0: it makes me think of. Uh, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say we don't do very much like vegetable gardening in the United States anymore. You know, the yeah. bulk of it are those those uh, you know economy neutral or economy negative products. That's the only thing we can afford to grow here.
0: Yeah, I think you kind of touch on something interesting, and I heard this this comment from uh, James uh, Kunstler who's a, a a writer like really cantankerous guy but and in, his integrity is just like spot on he has this famous uh youtube video i think it's one of the best things my favorite or it's a ted talk one of the best ted talks ever where he just talks about um just like how all the problems with kind of like uh suburban um culture which i highly recommend checking out um but I was listening to a podcast with him and he was talking about how he was driving through like, uh, I don't know, somewhere in Ohio, Ohio or Pennsylvania, some like Amish territory and how he was driving by this like Amish work crew with, um, you know, horse drawn machines, you know, they're bucking bales, they're picking up hay or whatever. And it's this like whole work crew. And he sees that. And he's like, you can see kind of the camaraderie of these people working together, um, tilling their land. And then it's like, a few miles later, he's driving by some guy in a massive combine, uh, you know, driving through fields of corn or whatever Wow! and how, and like with the technology now with those machines, it's like, if, if, if you're a farmer, you don't know how to fix them. You have to have these specialists that know how to fix them. You're going to be sitting in your air conditioned, um, you know, combine watching Netflix while you're doing this job. And it's like, even the farmers themselves have been like abstracted out of the process of farming as, as much as possible, you know, but wow. there's, there's none of that com- camaraderie of working with others, right. They're by themselves, you know, being isolated and wanting to kill themselves just like every other American, you, you know, yeah. <laughs> binging at, in their homes. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, even, even that is sad.
1: Yeah. That's really interesting. Boy, talk about contrast.
0: Yeah. <laughs> maybe we need to go back to goats yeah <laughs> we keep going we just keep going down to the really <laughs> depressing places man <laughs> oh,
1: goats are cute, so that's good too yeah
0: yeah well um maybe it's good let's bring it back we should bring it back uh to art a little bit yeah. i mean i guess all of this is to say uh yeah i i am super interested in kind of kind of this idea of like what comes next and just it's It's easy to idealize it and say like, okay, let's create this alternative, even though like you say, I think there's some harsh realities to it, but there's something kind of exciting of just saying like, okay, maybe I don't have to be part of this system that I'm not crazy about, you know?
1: Yeah. Uh, It's interesting because I never thought I'd be at this point. You know, the the main reason I wanted to go traditional publishing was because Mm -hmm. I had a full-time job, which uh, all writers do, you know? I mm-hmm. have some other source of income, whether it's investing or, or, or whatever that is. Um, you know, I'll, I'll always have something like that. So I thought, ah, oh, I'd rather have somebody that can help me with the stuff. I don't know distribution. Yeah. Like, that's always a big yeah. question for me. How do I find people and marketing and to find out that that's really not their concern either. And that I'm responsible for all that makes me kind of think, well, maybe I should be trying to build a better <laughs> ecosystem to, to publish and promote my own work and i'm horrible. Yeah. At it. yeah. Know, I mean, like I'll, I'll put something on instagram and get like 30 likes and and look at it and go, oh man, i know what i could have done to make that get more reach. Mhm. But i'm just bad at it. Like i, I have to be able to another drill. Yeah, right? It, it's <laughs> frustrating. Um so i've kind of been thinking this whole thing about like what what really is the product? I don't want it to be me.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, I'm not an entertainer. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one, but the, the real truth is, is that I love the process of creating enough that I know I won't stop until I've either cracked that nut or come to the, mm-hmm. the most important conclusion to me, which is to honestly care, not care if people buy my work. And, mm. and that's a tough one.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, that's one I know I. Geez, talk about Twitter! I know I, I, actually got a note from my agent after I did that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you're a little too honest. Um, yeah, but but I do kind of. That is my biggest desire: is to to lose that need to sell. Yeah, it's tough when you have to monetize it somehow.
0: Yeah, I, I man, I totally know where you're coming from. Well, there's two parts of it. It's like it's also you want to know that your voice is being heard. You know, this has been a really hard thing for me as I've tried to step away from, from social media has been just like, okay, but there's, there's like a need that that serves. Like I have a voice. I want, I want to be part of a community where my voice is like, means something. Yeah. Um, Which I'm sure everyone wants, you know? So that's part of what I think about is like, okay, I want, yeah, there's a sustainability. Can I do this in such a way where I can still survive as I do this. And there's also like, you know, I want people that, that I can meaningfully exchange ideas with. Yeah. Or that appreciate my work or where that, that means something in my, my community. Um,
1: yeah, I totally 100% agree. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting to me because I've just today on Twitter. So you mentioned you're mm-hmm. on social media, but I'm, yeah, me too I'm not up there ever I just check it every day um,
0: <laughs> I still I'm still like oh I guess I still got to go to that's still my one thing is Twitter is yeah, like I'm still like I feel like I can't leave but yeah
1: I feel like the news finds me it's the, it's the news that I want and I, I, of course I know I recognize that's an echo chamber all those things but I yeah I follow a certain group of people that kind of bring me the stuff I want to think about and I I, I have that desire to have some sort of a town hall experience mm-hmm. and I feel like Twitter can be kind of in that area. But today it was kind of going a little bit wonky, at least in the circles that I run in, about mm. some writer wrote something about here's the harsh reality writers. I don't know if you mm-hmm. saw the harsh reality meme uh-uh. that was other day. We said the harsh reality is is that all of these people who say your friends, your other writers, are your competition is what he said.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And people went kind of nuts on it and were like, actually no, that's not the harsh reality. The harsh reality <laughs> is that you probably need a better community. Like, <laughs> your community should be your support system. Um, yeah. And I love that concept. And, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that will reach out to people and, and try to find people who I think can help. Like, I, I made friends with Jeff Kinney, like the guy who wrote Diary of a Kid, right? <laughs> he yeah, my yeah. book, it was like the greatest thing ever. It didn't add to my sales, right? Mm-hmm. But he and yeah. I have talked since multiple times about yeah. you know, what else is out there and, and he's thinking in that way. Right. I'm not putting words in his mouth. I'm not saying he's gonna like run away from publishers. Like, <laughs> definitely not putting words in his mouth. But but he's thinking like, hey, what's next? And you know, what are the cool things that are happening? And he's starting to share more of his like in progress work because he likes what that does for the community that he's in. And like that's cool that you know we're not siloed here. I think everybody, even people who are remarkably successful, are looking for better ways to share their content.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so tell me, Dustin, this is, this is the outstanding issue. Uh, we need to discuss. So why is it, why is it that we make art? Why is it that some people are like, I'm going to be a dentist and that's fine. And we have to like make things hard by, by trying to make art.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, I'll answer it the opposite way first, at least in my opinion. Okay. I just yeah. I, I was talking to a friend of mine who I admire a lot. Uh, uh, she was a editor at HarperCollins. She's since moved on to be a uh, a literary agent. Um, hmm. uh, a very good friend of mine, a lady named Molly O'Neill. She's brilliant. Um, and I was really struggling with this kind of stuff for a while. I books weren't selling, and you know, I I put so much time into trying to get better at this stuff, and and I just. It's so frustrating. It's that exactly. Mm-hmm. You're saying, like, why do I do this? And, you know, asking those things. And I was, I talked to her about that. Um, and she said, well, let me give you the, the best advice that I can give you. And she said, it's not very good advice uh, if you're not ready to hear it. And it was, if you can quit making art, you should. <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> yeah. And, yeah.
1: And I think that there is a little bit of the answers to why we make art inside of that. Um, hmm. I think that, I think everyone has a desire to share stories, everyone. Mm-hmm. even that dentist that is doing better than us uh, <laughs> <laughs> at some level, I'm sure he's a storyteller too. And I think that's such a biological need to, to share stuff that we create and, and that, but I do think there's a difference between people who share stories and people who have that desire to create i think there's a certain segment of people who just have to create there uh, doesn't matter what it is and, yeah. and i don't know if you feel that way like i i'm to a point now boy this is really getting honest um <laughs> <laughs> i'm to a point now I, I i'm about wrapping up another book i'll finish it i'll put the last spit and polish this weekend and send it off on monday
0: um, mm-hmm.
1: and and i'm i'm anticipating edits right but but to me in general, that's done. Like, you know, the edits go a lot quicker than the, than the writing process. So I'm pretty much done. I'm to a point now where I'm thinking I might be done. Hmm. Like I'm, I'm creatively tapped. I don't have a desire to do yeah. right now. Um, yeah. But I also know that it won't take much to get that back.
0: You'll get back to it.
1: Yeah. I don't know when Oh my. God. might take a while.
0: Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. One of the themes I've I've been trying to explore on this show, but it's been hard to explore, is like the whole idea of quitting art. Um, part, I mean, it's something personally I've gone through since I've I've really I've man I've done so little art, like spe- specifically drawing over the last year, uh, and I've been trying to reach out to friends that have kind of like had changes in in direction who were doing art and very focused on art, and then were just like, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm I'm doing X Y Z. And almost everyone I reach out to is basically like, yeah, you don't want to talk to me. I'm, I'm, I'm not making art anymore. And I'm, I'm kind it's, I think that's very interesting. This idea of like um, kind of being like, okay, I've decided I'm not making art anymore. So now it's like my, I shouldn't be part of the conversation when I feel like that's such an essential part of the oh, conversation. Yeah,
1: I think you're totally right.
0: Cause so many people are going to be experiencing that obviously you know, so. Yeah.
1: Oh, for sure. I, I think, um, do you know the concept of defragmentation on a computer?
0: Uh, yeah. I think I, so. Make, yeah, maybe explain it just a little bit to yeah. make sure i
1: Well, it, it doesn't really happen that much anymore because processors are yeah. packing in data. But, uh, you know, five years ago, seven years ago, um, any, anytime you do anything, copy or paste or, or draw or, or listen to a little bit of music or anything that you would buffer would get packed into these kind of weird pieces into the memory on your computer. right? Yeah. And there was always little spaces and little gaps between uh, mm-hmm. those, those pieces of memory. Um, and I always loved that the term of fragmentation and mm. and the concept of defragging a computer was this long laborious process. You would have to turn your computer on overnight.
0: I remember this. Yeah. Uh,
1: and computers kind of do it on their own now. They're much better at it, but, but it would have to go through this cycle where basically what it would do. It would, clear out all those little pieces of memory Um, if there are important things that that probably you referenced often it might have packed them in but to pack them in tighter and Mm -hmm. when i think of creating art that's what art is to me is that Hmm. most of my day is defragmented Hmm. or is fragmented right gotcha i get i get distracted by you know twitter or or you know my wife will text me something funny and, and you know or you know or my mom's having health problems like you know typical life right like yeah things you know certainly 2020 was a whole lot of that fragmentation process Mm -hmm. where things just didn't feel right when art is at its best for me when when the process of creating is at its best and i feel like i'm really into it i feel like i am defragmented it's putting Hmm. together those things in a more cohesive manner um so i know there's it's a weird analogy but that's that is kind of the what art does for me and i don't know why i create it i really don't
0: that's interesting
1: the process is is satisfying to me and i feel like it helps me just kind of clear out a lot of those thoughts and distractions that i have throughout the day
0: yeah i wonder if if maybe part of the answer is because it i mean there's there's a clear like functional role it plays as far as i think for many people creating just like healthy uh, integrated human beings, um, and I think what a lot of people get hung up on is the identity part of it. I think I sure did, and I think that's oh. one thing I really had to let go of was being like, "I am an artist," you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because that was that was create. I was creating so many demands for myself, or feeling when it got to the point where I felt like I had to do it, like that I was beholden to some sort of duty to create, right? Um, that's where things kind of broke down for me. Um, but I mean, I think if, if, if we can get to a place where people can see art as this thing, where it's like, this is this healthy thing that makes me a, a a better person, a more whole person Um, I don't know, maybe that will help to kind of rebalance things a little bit. Um, and hopefully for some of my friends that have like taken a break from it, you know, or even if it's a permanent break, you know, um, it doesn't have to seem like such a, a failure or, or like such a sacrifice. I don't know.
1: Um. Yeah, that's a really good, actually, I think that's a pretty happy thought. <laughs> I really, yeah. because, you know, we do, we put so much pressure on ourselves of, to, to be an artist and, and to create it is such a, I know it even sounds like I'm an artist when I say this, but <laughs> yeah, it's such a demanding and uh, taxing thing to do. Um,
0: so many good freaking artists out there,
1: man. I know.
0: Just open up Twitter and it's exhausting.
1: <laughs> it's so, <laughs> uh, it's so hard. And yeah, you know, I mean, I've I've made a living as an artist. I'm so happy that I've been able to do that. And there have been good times and bad times and and all those things. In the end, I'm happy to be able to do it, but. I look at my work and I'm a shadow of what my son can create. Right. Hmm. That's a really good thing. i yeah. I can see that, you know, some of the stuff I've done has kind of laid a groundwork for my kids who are all in one <laughs> form or another artists. Um, yeah. So I can find some different values, I think in art than I did as when I was, you know, so worried about being a creator um, or producer, maybe yeah. even more than a creator
0: yeah I think that gets back to this ties so that this ties things together well I, this gets back to the idea you shared in the last one about it taking three generations to be an artist right.
1: yeah
0: um and I think one of one of the really wonderful ways to look at what we're doing, whether it's creating art or gardening uh or you know creating shadow cultures, whatever it is um is to think about. Uh, you know, whatever how long this project takes, whether it's three generations or decades or a hundred years, a lot of people talk about this idea that um, you know we're creating this this project and it's kind of this this long term thing that's going to take some patience. But hopefully, it is it is going to be better. You know, yeah, um, it can be so easy to get wrapped up and like, geez, I want to be successful as an artist right now. But it's nice to think about this idea of okay, I'm setting the groundwork for maybe a better world 50 years from now. And geez, I see it with my daughter too. I'm watching my daughter right now and it's like every week that I check in on her, I'm just like, oh crap. She is like, she's going to kick my ass in art. I can, I can already see it. <laughs> but I really like this idea lately of, of, I felt like the culture we inherited was like about status and wealth. Like you wanted to pe- next generation to have more status, more wealth. And I, like, reframing it as, like, I want the next generation to have, like, whatever, a more beautiful life. I want my next generation to live more simply. Um, I want them to help build the next thing. And I, it's, like, hard because I kind of tell my kids, like, I, I'm i in this place where I feel like I'm, I'm handing off something to you that's really incomplete and in process. And, and you have to, like, kind of continue that that project, you know. But.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. I, you know, I don't want to talk about politics because it's it's hard enough. <laughs> but, but it's a really good, uh, I th- I think very visual thing that we're seeing right now, where we are seeing what is going to be a massive change, and 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 I think the shadow culture stuff is exactly what has to happen because it can't change. It can't change. With the, the current system can't change itself.
0: No, exactly.
1: Right. And at some level as a, as a, an artist or a parent or, or, or whatever, like I'm in that same boat. Like I can't, I can't make the changes necessary in my own career at the age of 50. Yeah. It will change the way I live. I mean, certainly, yeah, I can ch- make changes to change the way I live for the next 20 years. I'm, but it's not mm-hmm. going to be a huge, meaningful change. I can see that happening in a future generation. It's part of what's, you know, inspired me to take on students and, you know, do those type of things too and to teach, mm-hmm. and do those type of things, to hope that there's something there you know, that can, maybe I can rub off on somebody, but I think more of it is <laughs> more like allowing them to experiment and supporting their experimentation and exporting kind of supporting their willingness to fail and to try things. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's
0: really good. It's a good content. Good concept. Cool. Well, geez, I cannot believe that was the fastest hour and 26 minutes. <laughs> <That was fun. laughs> I cannot believe we just filled that time up so, so quickly. Um, that's probably a good place to, to wrap it up. Um, Dustin, thanks again for, for joining me. Thank uh, you. It's good to know that literally all I have to do is like, call you up and you know it's going to be a super interesting <laughs> Conversation. So,
1: <laughs> well, I appreciate it, and I um, absolutely love talking to you. You're just like one of my favorite people on the planet. So,
0: oh, thanks, man. um Man, I I definitely need to pick your brain more about all this, all this farming and, and chickens and stuff. And it's we'll we'll compare notes on on uh Ashley Colby. Make sure oh, I'm getting, yeah. that. Is that my, I getting that name right. Yeah, I was, and so I was thinking about getting the book, and I'm like, it looked really academic, so I'm like, eh, I don't know, but you've got it. You finish up. You tell me if it's if it's worth the read.
1: Um, i i'm maybe a little bit more than half into it i can't mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely grab it i think you'll love it
0: oh cool awesome it's Very
1: approachable. i mean she's a sociologist so it's you know mm-hmm. it's definitely academic but it's very approachable and just her life experiences and living in multiple countries has been fantastic to read about so yeah i think it's a really good book
0: very cool yeah. awesome man cool um hey thanks again for helping me make this work and yeah let's let's do it again sometime
1: Thank you so much fun take it easy
0: you've been listening to how to be an artist to support this podcast you can go to patreon.com forward slash h2bna